Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm happy to be with you for this Northeast Christian Conference. As our brother Maurice already explained, that we've had many years, many conferences. We uh, miss the ministries of our dear brother, Stephen Kong, who I'm sure is listening in today and praying for us and all. But we've gathered together under something greater than a man's burden. The Lord has gathered us together all these years by his mercy and grace. And now this morning, he gathers us again. Here I'm standing here uh, at my uh, pulpit at home. This is actually my wife's pulpit. She preaches to me, but uh, uh, she's loaned it to me for this these sessions. And so uh, I hope that I can uh, share the word of God in these unusual circumstances. We're talking about being able to say, behold, your king is coming to you. And that's kind of the burden of what I want to share this morning. I'd like for us to begin just by looking at Zechariah 9.9, this verse that we have as our theme, because it echoes that desire for us to be able to say, behold, your king is coming to you. Zechariah 9.9 says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And that would include us. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then I'd like us to read two different passages, fragments in the book of Revelation. The beginning of the book, beginning in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and then some verses, and then in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant, John. And then the opening in verse four of John's letter, as it were, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then just a few verses in Revelation chapter 5 and one in Revelation chapter six. So beginning uh, Revelation five verses six and seven. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And then do chapter 6 and just verse 1. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. Oh, Lord, we pray in these last days, that you will grant unto us a revelation of Jesus Christ to bring us through these times. 
We thank you that so many are gathered from east, from west, from north, from south. And we're constricted in our meeting, but we're thankful for the electronics and we rejoice in this opportunity to be together. Oh, we pray that your living word would fly forward, reach its target, be gospel to everyone who hears what the spirit is saying in these days. We thank you for this time to be together. Do help me, Lord. Help me to express what's on my heart. I pray in the name of the dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's already been comping on that we're gathered in this most unusual way, in this most unusual time, in the midst of a whirlwind, as the Bible would call it. But we're here to speak about not the whirlwind, but the king and his kingdom. We, as those who are sensitive to sin, to righteousness, and to judgment of all people, we must truly sense the toll that this global pandemic has had upon the whole world. We have yet to learn all that has happened during this time, but we know that the world has been badly shaken because they're without hope and without God in this world. And as they face this deadly disease and all the unknowns, they're panicking and disorder and division, even as we see in some degree here in our own country. You know, the Bible says, and sometimes we see it before us, that the wages of sin is death. And certainly this pandemic has taken deadly proportions. Now, I don't want to bring you down with facts and statistics, but there are a few things that to me were shocking as in these last several weeks, um, uh, different uh, studies come to pass and different uh, to, uh, polls are taken, we discover many terrible things. The CDC has recently reported that 40% of the adults in the United States have had some uh, issues with health, mental health, and with substance abuse just during this time. Suicides are an epidemic. And mostly between people between the ages of 18 and 34. To the toll of those who die this year, now over 210,000, we're going to have to add 50,000 by suicide. A recent report just this week came out that in Texas alone, one person commits suicide every two hours. The world is being slaughtered in this pandemic and they don't know what to do. Of course, we've seen the reports, I suppose. You know that pornography addiction is epidemic as people are forced to stay at home. Domestic violence is off the charts. Many people facing bankruptcy in recent days because of on online gambling that is just uh, reaping millions of dollars for the organizations, but causing many people great harm and despair. It was just two Saturdays ago that Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, went to Washington, D.C., and he went there to pray and pray for our country. He just said this, and I just quote, he says, our nation is broken with divisions, hatred, injustice, the fear of tomorrow, and we must pray because only God can restore us. This nation is broken. When our forefathers framed the Constitution, although they didn't put it in so many words, they knew the fact that democracy doesn't work unless citizens have a king ruling over them. All this tumult over who will be president is because actually what we want at this time in our desperation is we want an earthly king, a king to rule over us. It's almost as in the days of Samuel, when the people came and said, we want a king like the king of the other nations to rule over us. And Samuel went to God and says, Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. 
from being king over them. And it's like that going on in the US today. But how really we need a king. Our country needs a king, an invisible king enthroned over us that gives us uh, reserve, that gives us uh, character, that gives us love for one another during these terrible times. It's almost as if we're living in the days of judges when it says, and in those days, there was no king. So everybody was doing what was right in his own eyes. We're, we're stuck in this pandemic. We need a king to get us out of it. We need a king. It's time to pray. So many churches every week as part of their liturgy pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But those words need to burn in our hearts as a prayer request. The United States of America is a perishable commodity. Just like all the nations in the past that have risen and fallen, so a nation rises by grace and righteousness and falls in sin and corruption. We are just like any other nation and we're at a terrible crossroads right now. And the world is having a tough, tough time. You, you've got to feel for those people around you, the people that you see, the people overreacting, the people fearful. But you know, Christians, that's who we're talking to this morning. And Christians are trying to bear up in this very difficult time. But honestly, can I say it? Christians also need a king reigning in their lives. I know most people have this mentality. It happens with all of us. We're just trying to get through this, but perhaps without learning the lessons and the discipline in this time. We, we, we've hoped that hunkering down, putting our heads in the sand, laying low for a while would work, but we're stuck. I do believe we're stuck. And even regarding the church, there are reports, you know, Barna is a pretty faithful gauge as they uh, check things out, and the, they they predict some uh, real effects of this pandemic season. For starters, they say that uh, they estimate that one in five churches will close permanently by the end of next year. And this is for three simple reasons: the, the common reasons in all of these churches trying to exist, the offerings are down, the pastors aren't being paid and they have a building debt, which they cannot pay. They have reported that many of the churches who are Zooming in their meetings like we're doing today, and many of you, I think probably in your own local church, that Zooming has dropped now 40%. You know, there's those who are faithful who will uh, communicate the fellowship with two tin cans and a string between it, if that's what it takes. But some 40% of the people have now sort of drifted off of Zooming meetings and just sporadically maybe check out something here and there. You know, the church has provided a lot of services and a lot of activities and a lot of fluff and a lot of things, which really in a time of desperation and need like this evidently isn't really valuable to the saints. So Christians are really struggling in this pandemic as well, you know. All across our nation, you know, most churches are virtually shut down. But thank God, thank God, we're, I'm speaking to saints who love the Lord, who are continuing to worship and continuing to pray, continuing to serve the Lord. And thank God, I, I mean, you wouldn't be listening on Zoom this morning if you didn't love the Lord and want to serve him. But even for us, it's pretty difficult, isn't it? We're trying to, trying to meet in these very difficult ways and uh, trying to, but we can't really meet together physically. We want, we'd like to witness the gospel. It's very difficult at this time, not to mention the practical adjustments at home, trying to juggle a business and children and schooling and work. And there's a lot of confusion there. The truth of the matter is even for us, those who love the Lord without a vision, of the king and his kingdom, we are perishing, losing hope that we'll ever get back to the way things were. 
Never before have we needed a real king over us. Never before have Christians realized how poor it is when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. We need a king. And so I come and address three interrelated questions this morning having to do with the king and addressing them to you who love the Lord. First of all, do we know the king? Now that's different from saying we know a savior, we have a friend, we have a helper, one who forgives us, a beloved. Do we really know the king? Now he's ruling. There's no doubt he's ruling. But is he ruling over us? And related to that, I asked the second question, you see. Are we bond servants in his kingdom? Bond servants in his kingdom. That's different from being a child of the kingdom. Thank God, by his grace, we've been saved, been born again into that kingdom. It's different from being a church member or attending meetings, even going to prayer meeting or teaching uh, some children or being involved in the worship. Are we bond servants of his kingdom? And the third interrelated question is this. Do we really know and sense what time it is in the kingdom? You know, this world has a view that everything is cyclical and just repeats itself and goes on and on around in a circle. But no, no, no. God has a direct line. And time is being used to fulfill eternal purposes. And there's a direct line upward to fulfill that purpose. And within that question of what time it is, do we know when the king will come back? Now, it's fortunate that we gather in this kind of way where we have time to seek, seek things and seek the Lord regarding these kinds of matters. And I want to try to explain what I'm talking about in terms of the kingdom. I fear so many of us are good church members and love the Lord, been saved by grace, but we've known so little about the kingdom that we don't realize we have a vital role to play. Let me first explain from the Gospels, one example of how different the times and seasons are on the level of earth where we're going through this whole thing from the times and seasons of the kingdom of the heavens. In Jesus' day, he brought his disciples into a revolutionary awareness of kingdom time. It changed their lives. It changed their priorities. When Jesus spoke and one time he spoke of the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he spoke about these days as days, as moments when those bound in earth time would never expect and weren't ready for the coming, the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He pictured this in three parables, which you're all very familiar with. Three small parables where kingdom time surprised those who were living at the level of earth. And these were God's children because he was speaking in matters of the kingdom. The three parables were basically this. As in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And according to what the scriptures say, he briefly describes the days of Noah as those where everyone was focused upon eating and drinking and, and marrying and being given in marriage. In other words, the focus was completely hedonistic, just pleasure, just happiness. This was what people were looking for in the days of Noah, the pursuit of happiness. But they were surprised in the days of Noah when the judgment came. And also another parable he gave briefly was in the days of Lot. Into that ink eating and drinking and marrying, he added another aspect it was more about, in the days of Lot, doing business, as he says, buying and selling, planting and building, getting rich. So, as in the days of Lot, this was the condition at the day when the Son of Man came. And then the third parable, this is where Jesus pictures a sudden cleavage, kingdom moment, 
when two people are separated to heaven and to earth. Two men walking up a hill, two women grinding at the mill, a man and a woman lying in bed. And just as suddenly as snapping your fingers, so is the coming of the days of the Son of Man. Now, as we think about that, let's speak to ourselves. Aren't the days of Noah, the days of Lot, a perfect picture of our lives before we were interrupted by the pandemic? Do you think these words are perhaps a word of warning to us? You know, I, I use, use Facebook. I look at Facebook. Before the pandemic, most of the Christians, uh, most of the posts I receive are from Christians, and most of the posts that I see in Facebook or on Instagram are Christians holding up beers in a bar or, or gathered with a huge mass in a restaurant and eating away. Or maybe a, a nice pictures of, of some weddings or people traveling here and there, birthdays, oh, so many pictures of food. It's just amazing. Perhaps uh, this COVID time has been a blessing because recently on Facebook, I see more pictures, Instagram, more pictures of babies and children and moms and dads walking in the park. I like those pictures. But to me, there was a picture, a larger picture there of where, what, why, why am I posting these things? What's important to me? What am I trying to convey? a hedonistic Christianity where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, just enjoying life. And I think, I guess we feel like maybe that's a testimony of how much we love the Lord. He blesses us in this way. The point of the parables, of course, was not that Jesus was rebuking getting married or working or, or going to a restaurant. But the tragic point of the parables was that no one in these parables had any consciousness of kingdom, of the king's will, of the king's goals, of the king's coming judgment, or of the king's rewards. They had no idea of these things. They were just living their life down here with no consciousness that there was anything brewing in heaven above, that there was anything spiritually that could be wrong. And so for ourselves, the pandemic has interrupted our beautiful life, our La Dolce Vita. And maybe it's also revealing that we have a choice. Do we really want his coming kingdom? Or do we just want our American dream back? Where are we really? Where, where is our heart? This is what I'm saying when I say we need the king. Is there maybe a higher reason for this pandemic interruption? Is it time to check our treasure and just where we're storing it? Is it time to check our hearts? Could this global loss be gain for the kingdom? A blessing in disguise? If we see the king, it certainly would be that way. Peter, obviously, when he was writing his letters, think that Christians have fooled around long enough with a worldly lifestyle. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, Those who have been persecuted have ceased from sin, so that now you live for the rest of your life in the flesh, no longer by human passions, but by the will of God. Now, there is a, a, a clear demarcation of a narrow way. No longer living by human passions, whatever we want, but now living by the will of God. He was saying that those who have been persecuted have put away childish things. And then he says in verse 3, let the time that has passed suffice for doing what the Gentiles like to do. Living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. There's been enough time for that stuff. Could this be a transition? And then Peter just says with all the gravity of our dear brother who'd been through so much, the, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore keep sane 
and sober and prayerful. You know, brothers and sisters, we need our king in our lives more than ever. Do we realize it? Is anybody excited about the king coming back? Is that part of our desire, the king and his coming? Do we just sing Maranatha every once in a while? But really our minds are far from those thoughts. Perhaps the second coming and our blessed hope has been choked out by the thorns in our life of finances, promotions, meals, trips, money, these kinds of things. In my estimation, and I'm sorry, I'm just a one brother with one perspective. To me, the church has never needed the king as badly as we do right now. And our greatest need is to see our greatest need. Now it's true, since the fall, we've had to live in a dual kind of world where there's heaven and there's earth. And because of sin, a division which makes it a struggle as God's children to hold on to the heavenly while walking in the earthly. But you know, the, the men and women of the, of the Bible, they were able to see the king and live their lives through all of the practical ventures of, of birth and death and persecution and battles. Somehow they could do it with eternity in their hearts, even as they walked upon this earth. They walked with a kingdom sense of time and priority. Of course, Abraham, what was it? He saw the king of glory. And that's what set him out on a sojourn, a sojourn in, in search of the kingdom above, whose uh, maker and builder is God. And David, somewhere, he beheld the beauty of the Lord. And for the rest of his life, all he was doing, he was preoccupied with finding things that would please his Lord. And of course, we all know that Paul saw the king in his heavenly vision, and it set him on a course forever, on an upward call of God in Christ Jesus to see and gain his king. So we need the king coming and reigning among us. Now, that's why I have brought before us some of these verses in Revelation chapter one, because I think I feel we need to see the king. Because in seeing the king, it resolves our weariness, our questions, and even the present crisis. Listen, this is John's testimony over and above this tremendous book. There's a testimony of John, the human being, seeing his king. In the Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written, for the time is near. Of course, when John received these things, he was in exile. And even though he was a great man of God, he needed to see his king as never before. He knew the Lord. He's the one whom Jesus loved. But how he needed the king. You know, the persecution was grueling. The suffering by the Romans was actually quite intense. Um, I understand that the Isle of Patmos uh, quarries marble for the Roman world. And I can't imagine John in his 80s out there with a pick and a shovel, working all day long, getting bread and water in exile away from the saints that he loved. But he overcame, you know. Of course, he had that word abiding in him that could overcome even Satan himself. So he rose above his earthly suffering. I don't think you see John dwelling in self-pity lamenting the hardship, but he needed his king. And he knew how to exercise his spirit and strengthen his inner man in prayer and waiting and reading. And so it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
Now there's an overcoming place <laughs> for those who are uh, Zoom weary. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day in situations much more difficult than we have ever faced. Praying and worshiping and suddenly the king revealed himself in heavenly glory that met all the crisis in all the need. And during an undefined space, space of time, when, whether in or out of the body, no one knows, he received revelation after revelation of King Jesus in his glory. And this enabled him to overcome. How the Lord wants us to overcome. But we see that it's seeing the king. Now, do you see the king in Revelation? It's an interesting thing. You know, uh, there are actually, there, there are seven units of Revelation in the book of Revelation as I understand it at the present time. And it's interesting that each uh, unit of Revelation has two sides to it. Uh, the interesting thing is that some people tend to focus on one side and some on the other. Well, when John saw his king, now, you know, he knew the Lord. He knew the Lord was Savior. He knew the Lord was Logos. He, but when he saw the king in glory in these seven different settings, it set his spirit free. Do you see the king? Or do you see the seven signs of the end, the seven foreboding signs in the background? Well, I'm, I'm just going to mention them to you, just for those of you who'd like to study it a little bit more. In chapters one and two, of course, we see, what do we see? The declining of the seven churches. That's a picture, a reality in the last days. Well, John saw his king in the midst of the churches as a high priest tending to the light talking and purifying dealing with the churches he saw his king in the midst of the churches so, so now what do we see when we see this decline or hear these awful statistics about many dear brothers and sisters who will be without a church home do we see the king in the midst of this, the churches in the last days and the second thing was, you know, the, the, the seven seals were uh, opened and uh, it brought out pandemics upon the earth. Perhaps this pandemic is one of the seals unsealed in the end time. Well, of course, the horses came forth and all those things, terrifying things of the end day. But, you know, <laughs> what John saw was the victorious lamb, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, opening those scrolls, not to cause destruction, but to finish the things necessary for the kingdom of the heavens to come the kingdoms of the earth. He saw, he saw there he was, my king. Oh, he's opening the scroll. History is working out so that his kingdoms can come. He's in charge of the history. What a beautiful sight it was for John in the midst of these terrible times. And then there's the seven trumpets of tribulation, which as I look at them in a simple way, seems to be the unraveling of the earth's environment and ecosystem. But what John saw in the midst of the seven trumpets was the mighty angel, King Jesus, putting his foot down on the earth and claiming it for his kingdom. Praise the Lord. And then when the seven bowls of the great tribulation were poured out and Satan and Antichrist and false prophets and harlot Babylon and the abyss gave up all kinds of creatures and everything in the midst of the great bowls of tribulation. But what did John see? You see, he saw the foreground. He wasn't preoccupied with the background, as terrible as those things are, because he saw the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion with his overcomers and his faithful ones, ready to come down to the earth. Well, no matter how tough times are, if we could really see that, imagine the difference it would make in our lives. And then of course we have the buildup of Armageddon, the troops, the evil ones aligning for war on the earth, the saints being persecuted, all kinds of things going on. But John saw, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the word of God upon his horse coming down, hearing hallelujahs in heaven 
a judgment is about to come and the Lord would be vindicated for all the years that he has been abused. Then we see in the sixth picture, those millions of people standing before the great white throne of judgment, those who are evil, those who are good, all looking and being judged with righteous judgment. That's what John could see. The one who is upon that white throne, the king bearing judgment, just judgment, righteous judgment, judgment that is deserved by everyone according to what they have done, good or ill. And finally, the final conflagration when this corrupted world, Babylon disperses and falls away and all the heat that burns up, this is which is a, uh, this corrupt world. But in the midst of those fiery flames, John saw his King Jesus enthroned in the midst of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Now, my point of bringing all these things is not just to review the book of Revelation, but to ask if we understand this. There's two perspectives in our situation today. We can see the pandemic. We can see the divisions. We can see the political tumult going on. The economic uncertainty. Or we could see the lamb holding those scrolls. Directing the events toward the end of time. And you know, every time he does something that brings the end a step nearer, you can be sure that every action he takes, despite allowing Satan to do all kinds of evil things, behind it all, every action he takes brings about the greatest salvations this earth has ever known. Even as we heard one day the stories coming out of China of all of the saints who were saved in the midst of that persecution, I'm convinced that one day we'll hear testimony of how many people were saved in the midst of this pandemic. Because when God acts, he acts toward salvation. When God acts, he prepares the way for the kingdom to come to this earth. So in this whole time we're in right now, is there something greater going on? Do we have the eyes to see that there's something greater? Or at least can we rest in faith that he's truly in control? And that kind of rest of faith doesn't weary our souls. We're able to carry on. So in Revelation, we see that these words are written down. But now the point I want to make here is this. These words were written for the king's bondservants who could see the king, who could hear the king. And these words were written because ongoing through the generations right down to today, his bondservants, the king's bondservants will continue to be able to overcome in whatever terrible circumstances come about, even as John was able to overcome as that beast depicted in Daniel, that beast of the Roman Empire was chewing up martyrs left and right. Imagine the overcoming strength of such a vision, but the bondservants received it. So I want to mention this matter of bondservants because there's a mystery in a way regarding the king and bondservants and it's a chicken and egg thing. It's hard to know which comes first. Does the king reveal himself and this captures one? and makes him a bondservant? Or is it that a, that a, a Christian consecrates himself as a bondservant of the Lord, has his ear pierced so he can hear the Lord's voice, and then the king reveals himself? We don't know which comes first, but one thing we know, if we are his bondservants, we know how much we need the king right now. So this question now, do we know the king? Now, let me explain a little bit what I mean by that, because everyone who's born into the kingdom knows the king. But how much do we know him? Do we really know him? You know, I mean, it's one thing to be born in the UK and live in London. I guess you could say, you know, the queen. But do you really know the queen? Today, I, I do think it's a serious problem and we must face it. 
even in the church today, there's much preaching of the gospel and the gospel of grace and people being saved. It's wonderful. But the whole gospel of the kingdom of the heavens is being quite ignored. And as a result, when people get saved, they think that's it. That's all I got to do. And they want to serve when it's convenient. And they know when they get to heaven, we're all going to get a reward because it's like God hands out participation trophies, you know. So everybody gets, no matter what they did, it's all the same. And that's why I wanted us to sing that song this morning. I know it's a difficult hymn in a way. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom. Oh, so many, so many saints have crowded the Savior's kingdom. But the whole song was this. So many crowd the Savior's kingdom. So few live as his bondservants. Now, the way the song puts it is this. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, but few take his cross. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, but few have suffered loss. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, but few count all but dross. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, but few fast with him. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, but few stand watch with him. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, few embrace his shame. Many crowd the Savior's kingdom, but few will bear his name. I think this is a reality that's a tragedy in the church. I'm, I think in, in large part, it could be teaching has been lacking and people don't understand. And basically it's this, you know, in the kingdom, there's only two kinds of citizens there. There's the king and there's bond servants. Now it's true, the bond servants are also children of the king. But the best servants of God are the true children of the king. A true child of the king loves the king so much that he's a willing bondservant of the king. Now, how does one become that? It's by seeing the king and yielding your life in such a way that you truly stand with him and his kingdom in this world. Now, for everybody, it's unique and different for me. It, it happened in a certain way. I, I, let me explain. In 1974, I was 30 years old. I'd been saved 10 years. I had got my degree from seminary, a master of divinity. I was a pastor. I was preaching the gospel, uh, serving in churches. And uh, all, in all of that time, in those 10 years I'd been a Christian, and then now for the about six years that I'd been serving the Lord as a pastor, I've been wanting more faith and praying for it. I've been wanting a word to preach. I've been asking for anointing from the Lord, but I never needed the king. Oh, I, I asked for the Spirit's anointing. And of course, I loved the Lord Jesus. He was my savior, but I never needed the king. And then a brother came to our town one time and he preached a strange message. He got up in front of the Christians gathered and he said, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Now, when he said that, I, I thought he was preaching the gospel, but I wondered because everybody was already a Christian there. But as he began to share his heart, I began to understand that it's the church that needs to repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Just like the Jews in Israel needed to repent in order to receive the kingdom of the heavens. So the church has gotten into this place where the Lord has to come as the king and say, repent, the kingdom of the heavens was at hand. Now, when I, as I listened through the weekend of a series of messages on this matter, some kind of something came over me and I began to realize that I was in real trouble. I, I, it was worse for me, I suppose, in a way, because, because I was serving in the kingdom without knowing the king. And for the first time, that, those Matthew 7 verses where, you know, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I preach? Didn't I cast out demons? And the Lord said, I don't know you. 
And I understood that I was re really working and serving, but I didn't know the king. I, I was doing a lot of stuff out of myself. I was doing a lot of stuff. You know, I, I went to a uh, traditional uh, denominational seminary and I learned a lot of ways that they said I should do things. I was trying to be a pastor, according to the, the, the book on how to be a good pastor, all this kind of stuff. A, a lot of stuff I was doing. I don't know, good stuff, bad stuff. But you know what? Uh, it wasn't that I was being sent from the king. I was doing these things as being sent by, uh, by the church, I guess you'd say. Well, by the end of that weekend, the king came to me. And he came to me, and I can't express it except he said to me, repent. Not just repent of things you've done wrong, but repent of who you are. Repent of all that you've done on your own. And his word, repent, was so simple. It was direct. It was loving. It was fire in it. He said, he didn't ask me to repent in part. He asked me to repent. I saw the king. Now listen, let me tell you. The king doesn't mess around. The king's not fooling around. The king doesn't put up with a lot of self-pity and a lot of, but I didn't know. You just listen to the king. You say, yes, sir. And I repented. And I humbled myself. I, I left the ministry for a period of time. I had to be re-instructed in how to follow the king and not follow my denominational plan or, or my own pastoral dreams or whatever it was. But the important thing is to say this. It was, it was that simple meeting of the king that a sense of being an unprofitable servant was burned into my heart and it will never let me go. The one thing I know out of that experience is I need my king and now more than ever. I know for some people who preach, it's an easy thing to just preach a message. You, you, know, you cut and paste, get some scriptures, some thoughts. For me, the struggle is uh, my final prayers are always, Lord, is this what you want to say? Is this, this is what you want to tell your people? And sometimes I don't know right up to the end before I'm going to share as best I can what it is he wants me to say. May the Lord help me. But the point is, you see the king, you repent. Now let's gather a few of these uh, thoughts together here as we're thinking about this. You know. In the present circumstances we're in, they're working together for good. To enable us to be able to say again before the world with sincerity, behold, your king is coming to you. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we could say to our non-Christian friends who are struggling and panicked and depressed, behold, your king is coming to you in the gospel and share a life that's like that. You see, the king has worked all things together so that his bondservants could be shaken back into seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Remember, revelation of Jesus Christ was given to his bondservants. I'm not sure if the church at large can hear or respond at this point. It's his bondservants, indeed, who he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because it's the bondservants in Revelation, even like John. This revelation was given to John the bondservant and was given for him to share with the bondservants. Even John and the bondservants there in the time of the end of the first century needed the king. They needed to be shaken back into the kingdom, back into kingdom watchfulness, back into kingdom prayerfulness, back into kingdom readiness, and back into a kingdom heart that is willing to overcome. Probably most of you who are hearing this message today are his bondservants. Oh, it doesn't mean you have to have lightning strike. You don't have to have a road, road, to, uh, road to Damascus heavenly vision. If you've given your heart and there's nowhere else you can go because you belong to him, you're one of those who has an ear to hear. And so I just want to talk to you. 
It is to his bondservants, his beloved, that he calls to repentance. I don't know if the others can hear at this point, but all of this pandemic, financial uncertainty, deeply divided country, racial injustice, and all the rest are to shake up his bondservants. We're, we're overwhelmed by these times. Perhaps one of the seven seals has been unsealed recently. All that was once stable, even his bondservants, they find themselves worn down at this time in a kind of a fog of confusion and a spiritual vision that's dimming. But you see, the fog of this season is not because of the and discouragement and the weariness is not because of the pandemic. It's only to expose the real reason. We need to repent. It's because when everything was okay, we lost sight of our king and of his kingdom priorities. And this fog, this shaking, is to bring us to that place, back to square one, to seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, to setting up treasures in heaven. Those things we lost sight of in the, in the beautiful life we've had in the United States, the prosperous life, the blessed life. Oh, bond servants, hear the Lord say, repent. You see, don't, don't think of the old, don't, don't think of some church where people are questionably whether they're even born again. No, it's to his bond servants that the Lord says, you have left your first love. Repent. You're holding on to some false teachings. Repent. You have a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. Repent. You've become lukewarm. Repent. You're rich and have need of nothing. These things have caused the bondservants to lose sight of the king. And you don't even know, he says to that church, that you are blind, poor, wretched, naked. If his bondservants are blind, if his bondservants have no vision, surely we'll perish. Now, of course, they said, as I said, this whole global shaking is also working salvations. I believe it's capturing uh, people in the body of Christ who've really known, not never really known the king to know him. You know, you and I know brothers and sisters and you know what, uh, they, they, they know the Lord, they're in a church, but they're like nominal. That's because all they, that's how, they, all they've ever known. The Lord, may the Lord use this time of shaking. We, we, we trust to bring them into a living relationship to him. The Lord wants to revive his church, it's, it's for sure, from the decline that it's presently going for. And he's even perhaps working upon a remnant of the Jews to bring them before their living Messiah, their king. Of course, this is all going on. And it's really staggering to think that the Lord could take this toxic pandemic cocktail, shaken and stirred from hell, and use it redemptively to raise up his overcomers, to prepare a bride, to strengthen his bondservants. And finally, of course, to set up a tremendous reversal of Satan's stratagems. Bond servants, be sober, take stock, repent, consecrate, let Christ reign in our hearts. Unless this present pandemic is the beginning of the final shaking of both the heavens and the earth, this season will pass soon. The fog will lift back to the days of Noah and Lot, unless it's changed us. One final secret, a secret of the bond servants, is that when you see the king, you also get a clearer sense of the timing of the king and of his coming. You know, the time of the kingdom coming is completely in the hands of the alpha and the omega. Listen, he knows what time the kingdom comes. I am the alpha and the omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He knows the beginning from the end. Of course, he knows the timing of the kingdom. But seeing the king gives us a little hint, gives us a little sense of his kingdom timing. 
I just share some fragments in the book of Revelation, which, which God delivered to his bondservants to encourage him, all regarding his soon coming. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written for, the time is near. Revelation 22.6, and he sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The great Alpha and the Omega has a plan that brings our temporal life into eternity. Are you anticipating that plan? Excited about that plan? Are you watching and waiting? It's wonderful. I mean, I know the coming of the Lord is a common doctrine upon us, but it needs to be more than a doctrine. It was no doctrine to John once he saw the king and he sensed the urgency in his spirit of the Lord's coming. You know, when we when we see the king, then suddenly this, this sense, the Lord is coming soon, is like reading that warning, you know, on that side mirror of our car that says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And you even hear this, the Lord is coming soon, and you sense it. There's something in your spirit that rises in a blessed hope regarding this matter. Are you looking in that kingdom mirror? Are you seeing the closeness of his coming? <laughs> Our brother. Our brother Stephen Kong has been such a blessing to me over the years. And I remember one time he was sharing on these verses here in Matthew 24, and, and he shared something that just revolutionized my, my heart and my spirit. In, the, in Matthew 24, verse 32, it says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When his branches already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors, at the doors. I had read that, but I'd never understood it until they explained in the Far East and in the Eastern world, how they have doors that you go in, the outer door in the courtyard, and then the, the, like a veranda, and then and finally you come in. And as he shared this message, I felt in my heart, the Lord somewhere in those doors, even in the doors, he hasn't come into the living room yet, but he's coming through the doors. His timing is so near. Oh, dear, dear bond servants of God. When we live carnally, the whole timing mechanism of the kingdom within our soul is out of sync with the kingdom rhythm of the spirit. Do you know he's coming soon? A sense of his coming is not something doctrinally understood just by the word of God. It's more than an objective truth. It's something that's risen in our hearts. Uh, brothers and sisters, dear bond servants of God, he has you in his hands. I have no need to worry except to say that we need the king more than ever. The world needs the king more than ever. He so loved it that he gave his son how the Lord loves those outside who know nothing of the eternal and are only being shaken in the temporal. Our country needs the king. Right now, as election looms, as this fighting gets so bad, that who, who wants to listen to a debate anymore? The nation is in tumult. The country needs the king. We've lost sight. The church needs the king. Because saints are fainting, are worn down, and are perishing for lack of vision. But first, bond servants need the king. Repent and seek the kingdom of God first. And he will give us a way through. I have no doubt he could lift this whole fog this whole season upon us. And with a couple of months, everything be cleared off. So he is willing to do. 
but perhaps he's waiting for us to do that spiritual business that needs to be done. So even in times like these, with our hearts cleared and our devotion to the Lord set, we can say to the world, to the church, to the nation around us, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, endowed with salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey. May this be our ministry. Oh, Lord, work on our soul so that we can have a ministry with gravitas and anointing because we speak out of the truth of having been in the presence of the king. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you so much. You are the king, even the coming king. We know you're in the doors. We don't know how close. And only you, the Alpha and the Omega, know exactly when this will all take place. But Lord, would you take the dear bond servants who are listening today and really prepare our hearts. Strip away from us foolishness. Strip away from us preoccupation. And even with worry and fret and weariness, just by all of this disgruntled kind of vision that comes out of an earthly view. Grant us a vision of that which is to come and help us to be those who convey that coming in. We thank you, Lord, that you're dealing with us in these days. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.